February 21st, 2023. We're in Masechet Berachot on Daf Yodbet Amudbet, and we're 14 lines from the top, the third word on the line. It says the Gemara, Ve'amar Raba Bar Derav. Those are the names of the rabbis that we were citing earlier. It's a, continue of it, a continuation of it. If you saw two lines from the top, for example, it was also the same rabbis uh, stating halachot. Over here, we uh, digress. We go from halachot that we were discussing to agada, to matters of um, interpretation of pisukim, to proper conduct and way of life, instead of, per se, a strict halacha. So here's the statement. Any person who could request mercy for his friend, in other words, pray for his friend, they have the intellectual capacities, the emotional wherewithal, the time to do so. They're able to turn to God and passionately plea for another. They're sent the name, uh, let's say in a text message, they're familiar with the person and they're able to dedicate in their mind and their spirit, their study of Torah, their prayer, etc. And the person doesn't do so. Callously, not because they didn't have the time, not because they forgot. Callously, is ah, it's not important for me. Such a person is considered a sinner. This pasuk is in the context of Shimuel. Shimuel, the people turned to him and asked for a king. This is a well-known story in Sefer Shimuel Aleph. He's very unhappy with that, and he turns to God and explains to people, I'm going to bring rain at an inappropriate time, a time when you're not expecting and it's not good for the ground to have rain, in order to prove to you that your request is wrong. The people passionately plea with him after that rain comes, saying, Shemuel, please just stop this rain. You're ruining our business. Our, uh, our society is going to be destroyed. Uh, we'll, we'll side with you. We'll understand things ma- uh, and matters differently. Respond, Shemuel, keep in mind that's, so to speak, a time where they're uh, in need of rahamim, of mercy. Says Shemuel to them, had I not, if I am not to request mercy for you, in other words, to resume the no rain status, which is appropriate for this time of the year, I will be considered hatola Hashem, I'll be a sinner to God. How are you a sinner to God? After all, you brought forth the rain with that conversation with God. The fact that I can be merciful with regards to my conversation with God, my request for you, and I'm not doing so if I were to not do so, would be hatola Hashem. Amarava im talmid hachamhu you should know, says Rava, a step further, if that individual who is in need of Rahameshamai, mercy of heaven, is a Tamit Hacham, they're an individual who uh, is imbued with Torah knowledge, with a way of life of Torah, and you don't request mercy for them, in other words, you don't pray and beseech God for their help, uh, for Him to aid them, in such a circumstance, um, you need to make yourself Yahale Alav. You need to become sick for them. Now, of course, it doesn't mean that you go out and make yourself sick. It means that the way in which you'll be pleading with God, uh, the mind, spirit, and soul that you'll put into that passionate plea to God will be one that, so to speak, gives you pain and almost uh, endangers your life. Not literally, obviously, but it means with regards to your mindset and your state of being. In truth, before we read the Pasuk for this, I would just suggest, uh, as, as an interpretation of this Gemara, when you're dealing with a Talmid Hacham, a true Talmid Hacham, that's an individual who's 
uh, either through engagement with people or alternatively, just in terms of their presence, they become part and parcel in every member of Am Yisrael's life. And as a result, if you need to request for them that mercy, it means that you're to a certain extent an extension of them. If they're in a state of holy, of pain, of suffering, of difficulty, it needs to be that you feel it as well. It reminds me in this context of a well-known story about Rabbi Aryeh Levine, the famous tzaddik of Yerushalayim. And the story as it was goes that um, he went together with his wife to the doctor when her leg was hurting her. And he turns to the doctor and he says, Doctor, our leg is hurting us. The understanding that he was portraying through those words, which... As the story goes, he just said it matter-of-factly, he wasn't trying to be clever, was that she's an extension of me. If her leg is hurting, it means my leg is hurting. In turn, that's my suggestion with regards to this Talmud Chacham, the holy is not some artificial external thing, let me make myself sick. You need to be sick because you're an extension of him. You need to be feeling that pain because he is a part of, that individual is a part of your life. Maita'ama, or rather, uh, says the Gemara, what's the reasoning, uh, so to speak? Do you have a pasuk that you can perhaps point to for this concept of when the Talmud Hacham needs Rahamim, you need to make yourself, uh, so to speak, hole. Maybe it's because of this pasuk. These are the words of Shaul. Shaul is in a, a difficult time period in which he's being uh, chased after and his life is imperiled. He's realizing that his son Yonatan has teamed up and made a pact together with David. And he turns to those uh, around him and, and claims and says to them, none of you became hole about me. None of you told me what was going on. Now, why does he mention the become hole? Just say, nobody, none of you told me what was going on. Those extra words in which Shaul says, none of you were pained by this, implies to us that Shaul, as an important person of stature, was saying to them, how could you not? How could you not be pained by the fact that my life is imperiled? Says the Gemara, but maybe Shaul is different. Dilma, maybe. Melech Shane, maybe a king is different. They have a particular stature. It's not any Tamid Hachamim, very important as well, but a king, that's front and center. That's the middle of the nation. That's the, the source through which the, uh, the current that spreads throughout the nation is literally lit and brings, brought forth. Over there, you need to be Yahaleat Asmo. Who said any Tamid Hacham? Elame Rather, perhaps it's from this Pasuk. Va'ani Bahalotam Levushi Vigomer. It's rather from this Pasuk from Tehilim in which David HaMelech talks about how Doeg and Ahitophel are not supporting him, or did not support him, rather were a part of a rebellion against him, and he says about himself with regards to them, Bahalotam Levushi, I became sickened, I became pained over them in their difficult times when they were in those narrow straits. And now, could you look at what they're doing to me? So again, Doeg and Ahitophel were not kings, but they were important people. The fact that David expresses that about himself, Bahaloti, Bahalotam Levushi, that I felt and was a part of that pain, makes it clear to us that not only are you Nikrahoteh, if you're able to be Mivakesh al Havero Rahamim Velobikesh, but if you're able to be Mivakesh Rahamim for a Tamid Hacham, you have to go the extra mile. Not only for a king. 
Kol Hause Devar Avera, again the same rabbis um, who are citing in the same name of Rav. Kol Hause Devar Avera, any person who sins, umit bayeshbo, and becomes embarrassed by it. Mohalino al Kol they receive uh, forgiveness for all their sins. Those are very interesting words. Before we even read the derasha for how we learn this, uh, what does that imply? I sinned, lo adenu, in one circumstance. I'm embarrassed by that one wrong deed. I now am forgiven if I'm embarrassed about that for all of my sins? How does my We're embarrassment... We're talking about somebody embarrassing you. We're no. talking about... I Me, myself. I said... Shabbat, and the next day I said, you know what? I I'm feel embarrassed. So I'm embarrassed. Not only am I forgiven, so to speak, for that sin, kol avonotav. Now, of course, the statement in the Gemara needs to always, agada, be read with a certain understanding. There might be a little exaggeration here. But at the same time, what sort of statement is that? The exaggeration does imply severity and importance. Truth is, Harambam, at the very beginning of Hilchot Teshubah, um, mentions the Ikar Havidui, the succinct, shortened version of verbal confession. And as part of it, he says, Uboshti b'ma'asai. Boshti b'ma'asai means that I'm embarrassed about my wrong deeds, my wrongdoings. Uh, bullshit, embarrassment, seems to be a part of Teshubah. Of course, harata, regret, is part and parcel with it. First and foremost, I saw in the book Ben Yehoyada, that's written by Ben Yishar Yosef Haim of Baghdad, he cites the Gemara in Masechet Bava Metziah, the Gemara over there talks about, as you were referencing earlier, if you embarrass another person. It's almost as if you killed them. Why? Because you literally drained their face or their body of what seems to be blood. They become pale. They become embarrassed through maybe first red and then pale. But ultimately speaking, you drain them. We envision embarrassment as almost a part of death. That's the way the Gemara describes it. As a result, suggests Ben Ishai, says in our context, death, Harambam, uh, at the end of Perek Av talks about how death has a way of inspiring us to higher levels of repentance. When you feel death, you're able to really um, let something penetrate your heart and change you as the person that you are. A part of the Arba'at Hiduke Kaparaz, Mitat Betin, is to be put to death. Again, you have Vidui beforehand because it's a moment where matters really crystallize. So maybe the bullshit is almost a partial death. Alternatively, and this I base on a, a lesson that I got from one of my rabbis, Rabbi Meir Tversky, when he was explaining that uh, the words of Harambam and Perek Alf, as I mentioned, the beginning of Hilchot Teshubah, he gave the following two examples to demonstrate this. He says, imagine I were to walk into a room and I'm rushing in. I'm changing his story a little bit just for our purposes, but the point is the same. I'm rushing into the room and I rush in and as I rush in, and if you know anything about me, I am a clumsy person. I trip as I walk in. As I trip and I fall down and all the books I'm holding fall out of my hand. I, I quickly gather them and I sit, pick them up and I sit down at the table. I look around and the whole room's waiting for me and looking at me. I turn very red and then I, I get drained and I, I get very embarrassed. That's situation number one. Situation number two, the same thing. I walk into the room, I feel like I'm running late and as I r rush to my seat, I trip and I fall to the ground and I pick up my books and I sit down at the table and I get up and I look around and there's nobody in the room. I'm an hour early. Oh, in that circumstance, I'm not embarrassed at all. What's the difference between those two? The difference between those two is the feeling and realization that someone else or others are watching me. 
The difference between sinning and not being embarrassed and being embarrassed is whether I have the cognition that God is watching me. So even if it's in one circumstance where I sin, but I'm embarrassed, that means I feel your presence, God. That is the tikkun for all my other sins. The reason I sinned all those other, on those other occasions, because I didn't feel your presence. Now I'm saying, now I'm saying, God, I'm embarrassed. I feel it in a genuine and authentic way because you are a part of my life. That is, to a large extent, turning backwards and saying, all that went wrong was because of, at their core, those actions weren't with the realization, feeling, and, and understanding that you are watching, that you are a part of it. That might be the interpretation to kol ha'oseh not only for that sin, but al kol avonotav. Shene imam. And there, there happens to be uh, some of the Aharonim quote, a different nosach in the Gemara, a different girsah, that it's not akol avonotah, but it's rather on that avon, if that's the case. You have an easier interpretation, obviously. Shne'emar, lema'an this pasuk in Yehezkel, tizkiri vavoshdi velo yehyeh lach od piton peh mipne kelimatech bechaperi lach lechol asher asit ne'um Adonai Elohim. So pasuk says, by realizing, by thinking vavoshd and being embarrassed over this matter, You'll have kapara bekaperi lach for all that was done. That's that's the derasha. Says the Gemara, but that's not a good derasha per se. That's a derasha from Sefer Yehazkel, which Yehazkel is talking to the nation. Dilma, maybe, Sibur Shaneh. It's different when you're talking to a nation. The nation, uh, feeling embarrassment and shame of the nationwide, that's very significant. That's a circumstance where you say, ooh, they are changed people. One individual is not per se that significant. It's very significant, but it's microcosmic. Here you're talking about the macro. That's why the Pasuk says, I'll call for Rather, perhaps it's from this Pasuk. Now, the Derasha over here is going to be a little difficult, but we'll read through it as the Gemara leads us to it. So let's catch you up to date on what's taking place over here. This is a circumstance in Sefer Shemuel Aleph as well. It's later on when Shaul is being attacked by the Pelishtim. There's a difficult war that's being waged. Shaul will lose his life at this war, and he's being told that in a few more lines, in a, in a few more sentences. He's, uh, he's nervous. He doesn't know where to turn. He doesn't know what to do. So he does, at that time, turn to Nevi'im. He turns to the prophets of the time. He turns to Halomot, or his own dreams, for some inspiration. What should I do? How will I? Can I be successful at this war against Pelishtim? He turns to Urim Vetumim, which is a way that the Kohen could, so to speak, correspond with God to get advice. And then lastly... He turns to a woman, Ba'alat Ov, to bring up Shemuel. Shemuel has already been buried and dead. He speaks to Shemuel. It's one of these very difficult, hard-to-wrap-your-head-around passages in the Navi. And Shemuel's angry at him. What are you doing? Why'd you wake me up? Why'd you bring me here? Shaul says, but I already tried everything. I don't know what to do. So it wasn't my first act in order. I wasn't looking to turn to you, Shemuel, to bring you up from the dead. I asked Nevi'im. I looked into my halomot. He doesn't mention the Urim Vetumim. 
We know he did Urim Vitumim. We know he turned to the Kohen Gadot to find out about the Urim Vitumim. Why doesn't he mention it? Says the Gemara, I'll tell you why he doesn't mention it. The reason he leaves it out is because he's embarrassed about it. The reason he's embarrassed about it is because Shaul earlier had killed a whole city of Kohanim. It was known as Nov. He killed them during a time where David was housed over there and helped by them giving him some of their bread. That Shaul was angered about and he wipes out the whole city. He's nervous and he's realizing in this moment that Shemuel is going to say to him, you want to know why the Urim Vitumim didn't help because you wiped out the Kohanim. No matter if Kiruna is going to help you in this situation, that's embarrassment. That's Shaul realizing there's something to be embarrassed about. Okay, that in and of itself is the clever reading, insightful way of understanding this Pasuk by the Gemara. Where do you see that he was forgiven for anything? Adrabah, quite the opposite. I told you a moment ago, Shaul's going to die at this war. Says the Gemara. Okay, so maybe there's embarrassment. Uminai, and how do I know at the end of this first wide line, the Ahilule. How do you know that from the heavens, that Borei Olam HaKadosh Baruch Hu forgave him for his misdemeanor, for killing Ir HaKohanim Nov? As the Pasuk says, as Shemuel responds to Shaul, Tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. Yani, he's going to die. That's Kapara? That's Mechila? Well, listen to the words again. He doesn't just say, Shemuel to Shaul, you will die tomorrow. He says to him, you will be with me. Shemuel is hinting to Shaul, you'll be in my mechitza. You'll be in my domain, in my realm, yani in olam haba. In other words, the statement is, in the reading of the Hachamim, Shemuel is reporting to Shaul, because of your embarrassment, for your wrongdoing, you've been forgiven. You'll be together with me. Uh, which wrongdoing? There's been many wrong things in his life. Why? Busha. What does Busha have at its core? Harambam, in truth, at the end of Chalakim, at the very end of his Morei Nebuchim, Chalakim, in Perek Nun Gimal, or Nun Bet, rather, Harambam, one of those two, Harambam has a conversation about the importance of Shiviti Adonai Lenegdi Tamid, of that constant uh, consciousness and cognizance of God's involvement in your life. Ramam Rabbi Moshe Islis quotes it at the very beginning of Shulchan Aruch. This is a principle in terms of our lives and relationship with God. It's the way Hanambam, of course, describes Ahavat Hashem, a constant thought, realization of his involvement in your life. It's not so simple for most people to fulfill this, but it's what we're working toward. Learning Torah and just leaving it in, on the page, uh, performing a mitzvah and leaving it in the in the room or domain that you performed it in is one thing. To bring it out into your life and have a constant involvement, relatedness, relationship with Borei Olam, well, that's the description of this busha. You're getting there. That's the description of Shiviti Adonai Lenegdi Tamid. I've placed God in front of my eyes constantly. Says the Gemara, we have a different derasha from the Hachamim with regards to how you know, even though it's not on the Sibur level, on an individual level. How do you know that concept that if you're embarrassed by it, you can be forgiven? It's also from Shaul, but it's from a different Pasuk. So here's the pasuk and here's the context. It goes like this. David, at the beginning of his monarchy, there was a long drought. And he's trying to look into what the matter of this drought is about. And he discovers that it's a matter of the giv'onim. The Giv'onim were mistreated by Shaul. The Giv'onim were a, a group of people from a different nation 
whom Yehoshua brings in. Yehoshua allows for them to chop wood and to be involved with janitorial uh, national uh, stuff in Israel. They were involved with some of the more dirty work. They were supported by the Kohanim. Ironically, we supported the Kohanim. The Kohanim supported them. As Shaul kills the Kohanim in Nov, the Givonim in turn, uh, where the sustenance come from now. They lost their ability to be supported, their food and their drink, which the Kohanim were helping them with. As a result, the Giv'onim always had something on Shaul from that time period onward. David understands the problem is from the Giv'onim, which in turn is a problem from Shaul. So he turns to the Giv'onim and he says, how do I fix this? We all want rain and it's because of you, nothing you did wrong, but in terms of that ill will which you've harbored with regards to Shaul's killing of your sustenance, how can I make things better? So they say, oh, here's what you can do. Take seven sons of Shaul, the Hoka'anum will bring them and, and, and kill them Begiv'at Sha'ul. Giv'at Sha'ul is the name of the place where, of course, Sha'ul was present. So it's almost, so to speak, going to add insult to injury. Sha'ul is dead. We're going to take seven of his sons and kill them in the Sha'ul strength area, the stronghold of Sha'ul. Then the Pasu concludes, and it says that the Giv'onim's words were Behir Amunai, the chosen one of God doesn't really match the dialogue. I'm in the middle of talking to you and saying, you know, we have a problem with Shaul. Here's how you're going to fix it. Take his seven sons to the place where he was strong and kill them. He's the chosen one of God. Again, you could read the Pasuk and say, it's in context. They say, we're going to show you what the chosen one of God is really about and how he ends. Alternatively, the understanding of the Gemara is, Yaseta Batko. In this moment where we understand that Shaul was embarrassed about it, God sends a heavenly voice in the middle of the Giv'onim talking, in which instead of just referring to him as Shaul, it's Behir Amonai, the chosen one of God. That's the sign that Shaul was forgiven. Okay, so effectively, though, the Gemara, fundamentally for our purposes, has mentioned and proven in one way or another from either of these two circumstances in Pesukim, that if a person has a true and authentic embarrassment about and shame from what they've done, there's a certain mechila, there's a certain way of rectifying and fixing those sorts of matters. Amar bi'avau, ben zutrati, amar of Yehuda bar zivita, b'keshu likboa parashat balak b'kriyat shema. Umipne ma lo kavua, mishum torah sibur. Says the Gemara, that um, in place of vayomer, in place of the final passage that we read as part of Kiryat Shema, uh, there was a thought to put Parashat Balak. Now, Parashat Balak is a description of the, the, the attempted curses, but ultimate blessings of Bil'am. Bil'am, of course, was this prophet who, during the time of Am Yisrael's uh, travels in the desert, tried to curse them, but God skews his words and tr- turns them into a blessing. The vision of the Hachamim at some period was, instead of Vayomer, we should have Parashat Balak. Says the Gemara, the whole parasha. Says the Gemara, of, at the very least, the whole parasha of the Berachot. I don't, I don't know that the aftermath, the part where we actually sin, I don't, uh, I'm certain, not that part, not the first part, but all of it. Says the Gemara, so then why didn't they? That's exactly the answer. The answer is it's way too long. It would have been too difficult for us. We would have had an extra five, six, maybe eight minutes in Knees, at least. So they, they put Vayome instead. Says the Gemara, but one second. What was it about Parashat Balak that was unique, that it could have been in place of Vayome. Maita Ama, what? 
Tell me, but I mean, it's beautiful. There's Berachot. We read it under the Chupa part of it. We sing Matobu Ohalecha Yaakov, Mishkanotecha Yisrael, and so forth. Uh, that's that's from the Berachot. There are beautiful words, but why would that be mentioned every morning? Ilema Mishum Dichtivva. Maybe it's because of the mention in it El Mosiyam in Mitzrayim. Because Bil'am at one point says God took them out of Egypt. After all, Vayomer has mention of Yesiyat Mitzrayim. The next Mishnah we're going to learn now, it has the significance of that, that we want as a mitzvah of We want to fulfill that daily, so we have that in Vayomer. Maybe that's why it would have been Parashat Balak. In order to get that Pasuk, it says the Gemara, Lema Parashat Rebitu, Parashat Mishkalot, If the significance of Parashat Balak, and in turn Vayomer, is the mention of Yesiyat Mitzrayim, so then how come the rabbis never wondered, why don't we put Rebit? Rebit is not charging interest. The Torah tells us in Sefer Vayikra, because you were taken advantage of in Egypt. Oh, God took you out of Egypt. There it is. One sentence. You could... You can save from Torah Sibur, from the burden on the congregation that way. Parashat Mishkalot, you have to be honest with your weights in business, that you don't skew them and rip off people because you were redeemed from Egypt where you were taken advantage of. Those would have been better in place. How come, how come it wasn't Bikesh or Hachamim? The rabbis thought to put Mishkalot or Rebit instead of Vayomer. Clearly that's not all there was in Balak, in Bilam. So then what was there? What was significant? Ela, Marbi Yosef, Baravim, Mishum Dechtiv Ba in addition to Yisiyah Mitzrayim, you have the following pasuk in the Berachot of Bil'am kara' shachav ka'ari uchlavi miyekimennu. Pasuk describes how a description of Am Yisrael, it appears, um, as being like a lion and like a lioness. Uh, a lion, a male one, and a, and a female uh, lion. That's the Levi, uh, the female, and Ari, the male. And, and the description is the lying down and the crouching down. And as Rashi explains it, first and foremost, just in terms of what the Pasuk is uh, perhaps portraying, is how Am Yisrael have a certain bitahon, a certain strength of, of, of trust in God. We can lie down like the king of the jungle. If you're, a, I don't know, a monkey, a giraffe, or a hippopotamus, you're always nervous. Who's coming to attack you tomorrow? When you go to sleep, you have to keep a little bit of your eye open. You need someone on guard. The king of the jungle, the, the lion, doesn't need any of that. We can go to sleep. We can crouch down and lie down without any fear because we know we have you, Boreolam. That's how Bil'am describes Am Yisrael. That's a beautiful pasuk in and of itself, coupled with Yetzirah Mitzrayim. But moreover, that's the theme of Kiryat Shema, when you go to sleep, when you lie down and when you wake up. What a beautiful pasuk. That's why we wanted it. So we would have mentioned this pasuk. So then why didn't we just read this pasuk? If the whole point of this pasuk is to mention something that's relevant and kind of taking off and moving us in a different direction of we wake up in the morning, we talk about you, God, and when we go to sleep at night as well. And we have that because you because you entrust us with your security. Well, why not just read that pasuk? No Torah Sibur, one pasuk, khalas. Says the Gemara, Gimire, we have a tradition, we learned called Parasha de Paske Moshe Rabbeinu Paskinan, de la Pesaka Moshe Rabbeinu la Paskinan. Our tradition is the only uh, fashion in which we can read portions from the Torah is if it's Parasha de Paska Moshe Rabbeinu. It's a, it, when you open up to a Sefer Torah, there are Parashot Pesetumot and, and Petuchot. There are Parashot that are open in the way that they're written. In other words, there's a space before and after and it's in the way that it's structured and those which kind of go straight from one passage into the next. Now, each of these are different descriptions of how the Sefer Torah, we have tradition on how to, how to write it. 
Furthermore, we have a tradition on how to recite it. You shouldn't be reciting it. Again, the Pirakim is something that we don't really have in our tradition. Time of the Gemara, they weren't doing Pirik al Pirik Bet. They separated it by um, these uh, Pesukot of Moshe that we had of tradition from Moshe Rabbeinu. You can't, not in the informal sense of I'm studying Torah, but in the formal sense of it's going to be part of my prayer, take one Pasuk and mention. You have to take the full parasha. And as a result, it would be inappropriate. We would need to mention the whole thing. Torah Sibur. Says the Gemara, okay, so ultimately speaking, we had lots of other options. If Kiryat Shema should be finished by Yisiyat Mitzrayim, if that's the most significant part. I understand Balak, you had a beautiful Pasuk, it didn't work out, Torah Sibur, inappropriate. But why Vayomer? Fantastic, beautiful Yisiyat Mitzrayim, but we have Mishkalot, but we have Ribit, we have a whole dozen plus mitzvot that you could have mentioned in its place. There must be something special and unique about this parasha Vayomer, which we call parasha Tzitzit. It's really where you're commanding about Tzitzit. It's the final passage in parasha Shelach Torah. Why did they determine, the rabbis, that's most appropriate to be mentioned at the end of Shema Ve'ahavta Ve'haya? Amar of Yehuda Bar Haviva Mipene, she'esh b'hamisha devarim, because it has five special aspects. Number one, mitzvah Tzitzit. Number two, Yisya Mitzrayim, mentions the exodus from Egypt. Number three, all mitzvot, that's the uh, the yoke of the mitzvot, we we, we mentioned in it, the Gemara will point each of these uh, as a pasuk, uh, the acceptance of the mitzvot. Dat minim, it's the ways and thoughts of the heretics. The Rashi before the censor said, Talmidei Yeshu HaNosri, it's a reference for us, for our purposes, to the wrongful thoughts which are embodied, at least in the time of the Gemara, by Christianity specifically. Number five, Hirhur Avera, wrongful thoughts of sexual uh, wrongdoing. Vihirhur Avodazara, number six, thoughts of idolatry. One second. The statement in the Gemara was there are five matters. Maharsha and others point this out. There's a particular difficulty over here. He said five, and then you listed six. So there are different girsaot. The most simple interpretation, if I'm not mistaken, Maharsha, among others, suggests, is that maybe we're coupling dat minim with hirhur avodazara. Wrongful thought gets coupled with um, uh, wrongful thoughts of avodazara, of idolatry. Alternatively, maybe there are different girsaot. There were six or something else in terms of the technicalities. Okay, says the Gemara, now that we're past that, uh, spell them out for me. Let me understand where you see each one of these. Uh, before we move onward, let me just mention briefly, Hirhur Avera and Hirhur Avodazara. It doesn't say doing uh, sexual wrongdoings, it says thinking. It doesn't say doing idolatry, it says thinking, because with regards to those two sins specifically, we have certainly rabbinic statements. Understand that Gemara Masechet Yoma has it with regards to wrongful thoughts of uh, of sexual uh, activity, and with regards to Avodah the Gemara at the end of the first chapter of Masechet Kiddushin on Dafmem talks about how in general your thoughts of sin are not per se envisioned by God, so to speak, as part of the sin itself, aren't considered sin, except for Avodazara. So Hirhur, thoughts of, are very significant in those domains, which I think is not so hard to understand. Those are domains where the very thought could be contaminating to your heart, soul, and, and mind. So as the Gemara, let's deal with each one of these where we have them. Bishlama, I understood it's it's straightforward. Hanetelat, the first three mefarisha, and they're explicit in the Torah. All mitzvot, where do you have mention of the acceptance of the yoke of the commandments? Dichtiv uritemoto, you'll see it meaning the tzitzit or the techelet, and you'll remember, and of course, in turn, perform, all the mitzvot of God, tzitzit, 
as well as explicit dichtiv asulahem tzitzit begomer. So, so three times mention of tzitzit. Lastly, Yisiyah Mitzrayim of those three explicit uh, mentions in the Vayomer dichtiv asher oseti. Pasuk says ani adonai lechem asher oseti otam eretz Mitzrayim asher oseti etchem eretz Mitzrayim liyot lachem leluim. So the mention is explicitly Yisiyah Mitzrayim. Okay, ela, but rather those last three or three which are really two, perhaps daat minim. Hirhur Avera, Hirhur Avodazara Minala, Ditanya, we have a Biraita, which spells out how each of those sins are referenced in that final passage of Kiriachima. First, Ahare Levavechem, after your hearts, Velotatur, you shouldn't stray after your hearts or after your mind, Zo Minut. That's a reference to heretical thought. Vechenu Omer, similarly, the Pasuk says in Tilim, Amar Naval Belibo. In Elohim, a wrongful person says in their heart or in their mind, in Elohim. So it means levavechem. Your live in turn is interpreted. Now this isn't per se a gezerah shava, but it's kind of a gilui. The fact that pasuk in Tehilim describes as live being the place that could send you off, levavechem in the pasuk in the Torah maybe is interpreted, so to speak, by that pasuk in Tehilim as a reference to hirhur of excuse me as a daat minim. Okay, says the Gemara onward. Uh, says the Beraita, after your eyes, don't stray after your eyes. That's for thoughts of a wrongful engagement with uh, men and women. So Shimshon's statement is, I want that woman because she's straight in my eyes. Of course, a wrongful involvement with a woman. Eyes, it's the eye. The halilot atura halil vavechem zo minut. The hare enechem zo hirhur avera. Asheratim zonim aharem. The pasuk says, "Those which you wrongfully go after, those which you astray in this lustful fashion." Zehirhur avod azara. That's a reference to wrongful thoughts and in terms a turn activity of avod azara. Chenu omer vagiznu ahare habealim. The pasuk says as well. In the context of Gid'on, and they were zoneh, they had that lustful, passionate drive to the Be'alim, which of course is a reference to Avodah Zarah. Uh, this uh, effectively concludes this Gemara. We go from this into the next Mishnah, which uh, most, if not all of us, are familiar with from the Haggadah Shel Pesach, uh, the well-known statement of Rabbi Azar ben Azariah, Hareani Kibin Shivim Shana, and so forth, which we'll address next time. But really, this Gemara summed up several important thoughts with regards to thoughts about others, compassion for others. In turn, the Gemara talked about uh, being embarrassed on your own for wrongdoing. It's a certain sensitivity of heart, of mind, of of of, of way of life, thinking about others, thinking about Tamit Hacham, thinking about your own uh, your own deeds. The Gemara then talked about this Parashav uh, Balak, how it perhaps would have been appropriate, but in Penet Torah Sibu, which is an important concept to be uh, to be developed, we even we did a class once on this on the general laws of Torah Sibur of in congregation time when you're praying, not elongating in specific circumstances. There are many ramifications la halacha, and then lastly we talked about so what's so unique about Parashat Tzitzit, those five or six aspects which are significant, which you can and should pause and think about and appreciate on a daily basis, twice a day at least in Shahrit and in Arbit as you read that passage and reflect upon how it attaches itself to your mind and to your spirit and soul as you uh, affect your consciousness over the course of your day-to-day life. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen v'amen.